0: So my first deep dive was technically
1: the Beatles. Yes. But my second deep dive mm-hmm. was David Bowie's Black Star. Was it? It was. Wait, what was episode three?
0: Uh, was that our Van Halen? Yeah, that was when we t- discussed Van Halen. I don't want to say that was a deep dive.
1: No, not a deep Pretty dive. Surface that was full on opinions. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. yeah. And apparently some dudes do not appreciate that. So And <laughs> we questioned David Lee Roth. It's fine. It's fine. How dare we? I mean, how dare how we? How dare we question the, you know, actions and the attitudes of, you know, 70s and 80s men of rock and roll? Yeah. How dare we? How dare we? It's complicated. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. It's complicated.
0: This has been complicated. However, it yeah. is. I feel that this is a fitting final episode for my deep dive. Yeah. It's David Bowie. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like a kin may you even say to david bowie in that you know i'm 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 taking my original works and referencing them in my final work oh yeah look
1: at that look at, <laughs> look at that i'm doing it I'm but pulling also it off. to get like the very end story of the very last months of david's life you have to go back to our beginning yes to listen to our black star album yeah. or review yeah yeah, yeah. I'm really not going to talk about it. <laughs> Sorry guys, so, we already did we a did lot. It. Yeah. In so, the beginning. So we already did that. Yeah. Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> so when you're done with this episode, go back to Black Star. We're okay with that episode. That yeah. one's okay to listen to. So that's like the first episode. I'm like, "No, this one's good. This one's good." Yeah, this one's fine. It's good. We it's can good. do this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yes, we are your weekly podcast, bringing you sweet treats from the world of music. One last time. (laughs) We've got, uh, yeah, the final deep dive episode here.
1: Say it. I
0: know. We're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And yes, we are concluding the story on David Bowie. And boy, oh boy, has this been a journey.
1: I'm excited this episode because we finally get to talk about Labyrinth. (laughs) And I am fucking here for it. I honestly could have turned this into a four parter. Oh yeah. Or five parter <laughs> or an entire series. This is a lot. Technically it is four series. parts if you count Black Star. Oh
0: touche. See?
1: Touche, she did it. Folks, she did it. Are we inceptioning ourselves?
0: Yes. No, that's not how I, inceptioning it's, works. It's not. All or right. is it? I don't know. I think we inceptioned ourselves. I'm gonna say we did. Anyway we at
1: least time traveled ourselves.
0: Yeah, we abused the tire machine just a little bit. Just a yeah. little bit. It's fine. It's fine. So, final thematic beer.
1: And it, and you know what? We nailed it. We I don't f- even have to do you know six what? degrees of beer. You know
0: what? I fucking nailed it this season. You did. I would and- <laughs> also like to send out a thank you to all of the booies that apparently have a never-ending supply of... Of David Bowie references for like,
1: their beer. Seriously. This has been the easiest one probably so far. Well, this one is definitely
0: the only overtly David Bowie-themed yeah. one. The other two were not overtly David Bowie-themed.
1: Wasn't the first one? It I was. don't think uh, so. I don't know. Yeah, single whatever. cut. It
0: like, look, I like single cut. I like you kids. But you get a little, like, too, like, deep and into yourselves about your music references and your beers. Can we, like,
1: have, like, a minute? Because every every title of every beer is a music reference. Yeah, but it's, like, you
0: need to know, like, the deepest of deep cuts to know that that's a music reference.
1: And it's kind of obnoxious. Mm -hmm. Also, I don't really like their beer, I like their beer. I think they have good beer. And their seltzer
0: is delicious. The trip seltzer? The seltzer's good.
1: Yeah. I will give you that. Yeah.
0: But, no, for tonight... The most thematic beer I got for you kids is from Common Roots Brewing. Local, local delicious. Heroes,
1: revel revel. Hey. <laughs> With the Ziggy Stardust lightning has bolt Ziggy on it, Stardust in case bolt. you didn't get the reference, I know. Revel
0: Revel New England IPA highlights a select blend of hops from the Pacific Northwest. Heavy dry hop additions of Sabro saturate your taste buds with waves of peach, coconut, and candied citrus. None of that is true. It just tastes like a very subtle yeah. pine cone. That is to say, it is your standard IPA. You know what? It's good though. Yeah, it is perfectly again. Um, perfectly suitable IPA. Mm-hmm. I would
1: drink this. I have no problem. I don't even think it's going to give me heartburn. Oh, shit. I uh, know. And it's 6.5, you say which now. Is nice. That's what you say now. But when you wake up in the morning, you're going to be singing a different tune. Oh, yeah. no, I'm going to feel like shit tomorrow.
0: IPs actually, I think, are the ones that contribute to my hangovers the most. Yeah, they're harsh. They're very harsh. Way mm-hmm. harsh, Ty.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> but also, I do want to shout out Common Roots Brewing because they are a local brewery up in Clens Falls, New York. They actually burned down a few years ago, yeah, probably I think the same year we started this podcast, and yeah. it was really sucky and tragic, but they have totally rebuilt, and they have come back stronger. I've been to the brewery um just a few months ago. it was lovely, yeah, it's really nice, so I'm very happy for them that they have risen from the ashes to
1: ashes, bigger, better, stronger, and uh probably with better equipment this time around, maybe yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it seems like a really like nice upscale, yep kind of situation they got going on there so I know you're not listening Common Roots but if you are good job thank good job you. guys thanks and thank you for making a totally
1: drinkable IPA <laughs> but also they have plenty of other beers that are spectacular Oh, seriously so. they do and, and I have know have drank like, them on this show and I know that like that doesn't sound like a compliment but <laughs> that <it>
0: is 100% <laughs> a compliment coming from like this is really drinkable Yeah, yo bro this is so crushable <laughs>
1: fucking the most obnoxious
0: thing you can call a beer is crushable
1: yeah i don't even know what that means
0: oh i discovered yesterday jeremy asked me as he was reading a beer description what does it even mean crushable so i looked up it is um you had to google what crushable means in a beer term yes apparently it is like a very easygoing smooth drinking beer it's like a session beer it's like usually low in abv okay you can like drink it all day the example they used was yo bro The Founders All Day IPA is totally crushable. Oh, my God. I might have added the Yo Bro.
1: (laughs) Yo Bro. (laughs) Anyway, that's enough bro talk. Yeah, this is truly not a bro topic we're going to talk about. so. So let's get back in to our friend, Mr. David Bowie. Yeah. All right. In December
0: of 1979, Bowie was set to perform as the musical guest on Saturday Night Live. Throughout the previous years, he had become extremely popular, and now he was
1: going to be exposed to the mainstream. Mm. Here it is. Mainstream time. Saturday Night Live, back when it was relevant. Back when it was funny? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Both things. Yeah. His multiple personas and avant-garde aesthetic made
0: him a hero to outsiders and art kids all over the world. Mm-hmm. And now he was going to put on, be put on full view for all the normies out there. Of course, he did not hold back any of his usual theatrics, complete with three costumes: one from a Dada-inspired tuxedo, uh, then a Chinese stewardess dress, and then topped it off with the use of a puppet and green screen to create this kind of cartoonish effect. It's—you should look it up. It's Aww. fucking delightful. Billie Eilish, eat your heart out. Lady Gaga, suck a dick. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, they all they all reference Bowie as an influence for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. He also brought in captivating backup singers to accentuate the show, performance artist Joey Arias and singer Klaus Nomi.
1: Of course it's Klaus Nomi! That's
0: how... Klaus Nomi and the David Bowie connection yes, happened. I knew that it did at some point. Yes. And I felt bad that I didn't know. So I really wanted to include this because I felt bad for not knowing.
1: Guys, if you don't know who Klaus Nomi is, I, that's the one artist I really wish I did an episode on because he is fascinating. Fascinating. He is, though. And a, a really huge influence in like German avant-garde mm-hmm. music. And very tragically short life. Very much. Yeah.
0: Very cool dude. Yeah. They sang and performed their own choreography behind David, and the whole thing was not something akin to the usual SN crowd. Um, yeah, they were like, "Okay, this is weird," but it was perfectly Bowie. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's just what David was all about up to that point, and continued to be about bringing some artistic nuance to the everyday person. Yeah, and that was really going to be David going forward too, mm-hmm. being like a like reachable artist to the normal people.
1: Like somebody who is just like on on the edge of fucking weird but like accessible enough that everybody can understand it. Accessible, that was the word I was yes. looking for. Yes, he's accessible. Accessible weirdness. David Bowie. That's David Bowie in a nutshell pretty much. There you much. go. Despite some pitfalls along the way,
0: manipulative contract deals, a nasty coke habit, some Nazi shit, and the end of his <laughs> 10-year marriage, David- <laughs> You would, know, just some Nazi just shit. Some Nazi shit. But David was entering the 80s with a newfound positivity. Good. Yeah. No more milk and peppers? Oh, no. He was very much done with those. Thank
1: God. He gained
0: weight. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, he didn't wait that long to get back into the studio either. That February, he went to New York City to begin his work. Brian Eno would not be coming along on this one, but David still had old, reliable Tony Visconti by his side.
1: Man, that guy. He put up with a lot. He put his nose into everybody's business.
0: Tony like, Visconti? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: He put his nose on everybody's spoon, too. Indeed, he did. If you had a spoon, he was there. There was no spoon that Tony Visconti did, did like. not sniff on. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: Well, no longer wanting to just slap improvisational lyrics onto paper, David told Tony he wanted to take his time when composing these songs, lyrically as well as musically. Instead of just coming up with everything on the spot and just sticking with what they got because he wanted to just keep going, he would build on their ideas over time. What a newfound idea! Wow, <laughs> a novel idea! Oh, fuck. And David was still approaching his work uh, mostly sober at this point. The drink was still a thing, and he may partake in a bump from time to time, but gone were the days of paranoid obliteration. Did he just stop? Did he go through rehab? He didn't go through rehab. Okay. He just, like, well, the time with Iggy was really crucial to both of them, at least going to more social drug use as opposed to constant drug use. Like at this point, it was more of like, oh, I'm going to a party on Friday night. I'll do a couple bumps or, oh, man, I'm like really fucking tired. Let me just take a bump. But it wasn't the same way it was before.
1: That's so crazy that like you can just some people can just do that. Yeah. Some people can. Some people just get full on addicted and Mm -hmm. it completely obliterates their life. And some people are just like. I'm doing this too much. I need to stop. Yeah, what's that like? Let me get my let me get my weird fucking buddy, who does too much coke too. Yep. we'll just hang out in this house and just make sure we don't do coke. There you go, and then we can reemerge and you know just do party coke. Yeah, party coke. party coke is fine. <laughs> party coke is just fine.
0: <laughs> so, but the same can't be said for everyone who came into the studio. They had Pete Townsend of the Who come in for the track because you're young. And that was,
1: well, interesting. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pete Townsend came in and yeah. did a song called Because You're Young. Yeah, that's not great. I'm, We're not getting into it. Just leave I'm it. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Just leave it. Just leave it there.
0: It's, mm. like, it's, like, I'm, it's like you're my dog. And I'm like, nope, leave it. <laughs> nope. Leave it. Leave it. <laughs> Get it out of your mouth. Get it Get out of your out. mouth. Get Except out. leave it in your mouth. Oh, my God. Leave it in your mouth. He came into the studio already a sheet or two in, and when David asked if he could get him anything, he demanded a bottle of red wine, which he polished off all by himself. Who does he think he is? Peter Steele? He thinks he's Peter Townsend. <laughs> it's, but he spells it Peter Townshend, which I hate. Yeah. Once he settled in and asked what they wanted him to play, they were like kind of at a loss of how to explain to this drunken guitarist what they wanted. So they simply requested uh, chords? And he kind of looks at them, and they're like, <laughs> Pete Townsend chords? Uh, chords? He's... But then they're like, Pete Townsend chords? And he's like, oh, windmills. And then within 30 <laughs> minutes, he put down exactly what the track needed and bounced.
1: I, <laughs> I mean, you want windmills. But like, <laughs> I mean, was it really what the track needed? Or were they just like, well, this is what we have. Better do what we need to do with it. Can it be both? I guess. Maybe. It works. It works. If it works, it works, but it like, works. how much work did they have to do to make it work? Yeah, honestly.
0: Who couldn't else? You know what? It's fine. They did it. Fine. Another guest on the album who was arguably a bit more prominent and a less, less drunk in general was uh King Crimson's Robert Fripp. Robert fucking Fripp. Robert fucking Fripp. <sighs> he played guitar on many of the tracks, including Fashion and Scary Monsters. This was a return for him, as I forgot to mention in the last episode, he actually also played on Heroes. Yeah. The finished project would ultimately be called Scary Monsters and Super Creeps, that's Mm. in parentheses, released in September 1980. He was further departing from his classic sound, but was still taking risks. It was tipping itself into the world of art rock and new wave, but still had that familiar Bowie vibe. Mm -hmm. It's a great fucking album. That shit slaps. Love that one. Another interesting choice he made was to bring back a very old character, one that had not been seen on an album before. For the video to Ashes to Ashes, he dressed as Piero the Clown, a character from way back in his Lindsay Kemp days. And the role of Piero was usually played by Lindsay, but David donned the makeup and costume, and not just for the music video, but also for the album cover. So that, like, caricature drawn, he's Mm -hmm. dressed as Piero the clown oh yeah and also of course in the music video for ashes to ashes which is the lead single off of the album Mm -hmm. and this song was his way of closing off the 70s summing up his life for the listener but using an old character for his portrayal of himself he also makes mention of a guy that's been in such an early song Soon enough, the song gets to the chorus, and we discover the guy he's referring to is Major Tom. Ah,
1: yeah, I was gonna guess that.
0: Yeah, I swear. Why well, didn't give you? I didn't give you a chance. <laughs> I, I, you know what? This is my fault. Ashes to ashes, funk to funky. We know Major Tom's a junkie, strung out in heaven's high, hitting an all-time low. So is that him? Yes, he is Major Tom. Yep. There's a few references to David in here. Becoming a junkie, hitting a low point in his mm-hmm. life, making the album Low. And here he is using his first persona as a lyrical proxy and killing him off in the process. Because now with Major Tom dead, he's free to continue on his own creative path without, like, the chains of the past.
1: That's kind of cool because I can actually see that. Right? Like, there's a lot of artists that do the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They're trying to kill their past personas and emerge in something new. I'd like to do and something it's
0: like- new now. <laughs>
1: and <it's> like No! <laughs> And it's like, okay, yeah, I get that. But, like, I actually really fucking get that. Yeah. Because he did exactly that. Yep. And you never hear of uh, Ziggy Stardust, Major Tom, or anything like that. Till, like, the very end. Yeah. and I mean, it's not like he completely condemned those personas. No. I think he accepted them and was like, but these are, like. These are the black sheep of the family. Well, and, and it, Yeah, it's the black sheep. It's the, you know, it is like, he's, homeboy's like about 30.
0: Yeah, and he's, he's like, like <laughs> guys, or he is 30. Yeah, he's fucking 30. He's like, guys, I am, re-. it's like if people are like, hey, you want to wear your Jinkos again? And you're like, like, dude, I'm not going to wear my Jinkos again. Like, no. And then I'm no, like, no. when I'm alone by myself, I'm like, I just put on my Jinkos and I'm like, I remember wearing you though. <laughs>
1: That's what it's like for Bowie. It's like Bowie's past personas are like Jinkos, yeah, they're like Jinkos. He's like, guys, I'm really, I'm over like, this. Like they're not in fashion anymore, but no. you're still nostalgic. Yeah, like you, they're still beloved yeah, like, to
0: a time in your
1: life. Yeah, they're they're the children that you still love, <laughs> but course. you don't really want to invite to Christmas dinner. Yeah, because you're really in a different place now. Yeah, being no stranger
0: to wanting to create visuals for his music, he worked with David Mallet. Who would also go to work later with the likes of Queen and Iron Maiden mm-hmm. on a music video for this single. It would be the most expensive video made at the time. But like, don't worry, that shit gets surpassed real oh, hard. Oh, It's quite like hard. top fifty at best at this I point. I think
1: every year it gets topped at least five times yeah. like subsequently throughout the next three decades. Yeah. But it is a really cool video. Um. So he dresses as Piero
0: and walks along beaches and deserts, accompanied by a few Blitz kids that he has become acquainted with. Sorry, what are they? Blitz kids. Blitz kids. Okay. All right. So the Blitz scene was where the New Romantic period would come about, and David Bowie was basically their patron saint. And the Blitz was one of the um venues that they would go on, like, dance and listen to a lot of Bowie music.
1: So what do you mean when you say New Romantic? Okay. So New
0: Romantic is stuff like... um. Like Culture Club, okay, uh, Duran Duran. Gotcha. So it's like gothy, but also like- Gothy new wave. Lots of bright colors. Yeah. Like, I really love like bright makeup, but I'm also going to dress in a top hat. hmm Gotcha. So yeah, that's new romantic. Okay. So they've tried to say that Adam and the Ants is new romantic, but he's like, no, I'm not.
1: No, <laughs> shut up, Anime Ant. You are. <laughs> like, <laughs> you fucking are. Come on. I mean, you don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? Seriously. I,
0: like I said, David's only about 33, but rock and pop are games for the Utes. Mm-hmm. He still wanted to stay fresh and also welcome the new guard. So by having these kids in the video with him, it was his way of saying, I'm well aware that I've been around for a minute and staying relevant is going to get harder. So I just want to celebrate like where music is going right now. Mm-hmm. Like, he always wanted to make sure everyone was aware that, like, I am, like, not going to begrudge where music goes. Mm-hmm. He wants to adapt. He wants to be a part of it. He, as we go on, you will see, like, he loves younger artists. He loves the people who have been inspired by him and therefore becomes inspired by them. That's sweet. That's right? Nice.
1: It's great to
0: see somebody that can do that. Scary Monsters would become a universally beloved Bowie record. It was a step in the right direction, not just musically, but also being very raw and candid as, and as an album as well. Mm-hmm. That same year, director Jack Hofsis was directing the Broadway play The Elephant Man and asked David to play the titular role. Mm-hmm. Again, acting always was a
1: desire for him. And this would be a real epic role for him to take on. So is this the first one after... The Man Who Fell to Earth. Did he do any movies or plays or anything? He did, and I didn't mention them, and I apologize. No, that's fine. I'm just wondering if he- did something else. If there was just a big gap.
0: I do believe this man, though, did see his um, acting in The Man Who Fell to Earth and was like,
1: yeah, this guy. Allegedly, they're doing a remake of that. Hmm. Um, And I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the guy who was in 12 Years a Slave is supposed to be playing David Bowie. Okay. Which sounds pretty fucking interesting. Okay, you know I've never
0: seen the original, so I can't. I haven't either. We should. I can't have an opinion. We should watch that. We should watch a lot of David Bowie movies after this. I'm like, I want to watch. I want to see the one, the Army one too. Oh, I have that one. We'll talk Um, about that in a hot second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You sit. You sit tight. I'll sit.
1: I'll sit with my butt tight.
0: (laughs) Tight butthole. Instead of using prosthetics to make him look deformed like the Elephant Man, everyone agreed that it would come across more sincere if he used physical movements to portray the main character's pain and subsequent feelings of isolation. So he would just do these crazy, jerky movements, and he did, like, these facial tics. Huh. So instead of, like, a prosthetic, so he... Because they just thought that would be more insulting than actually believable. And everybody who watched the play, though, said, yeah, no, he looked like he was in horrible pain the whole time because that was the thing about the elephant man too is he was constantly he was, in pain. Oh yeah.
1: But also it was called the elephant man because that's what p- people saw him as mm-hmm. because of his defor- deformities. deformities, yeah. I I'm interested I wish I could have seen that. Yeah. Because in order to see him portray his disfigurement and his pain without yeah. the use of prosthetics is probably very difficult. right and
0: I mean there are photos I didn't see any video but it, there were some photos and I was like, okay, yeah I mean it yeah. looks it looks
1: severe so yeah yeah I think I think yeah, it works. skinny enough. He can bend his ass in weird fucking ways, I'm sure. I bet he
0: can. And all the movement work that he did when he was younger, that really helped him to be able to just move in these ways that people normally don't. And you're like, oh, God, you probably shouldn't do that. (laughs) I think there was a warning before the play or somewhere in the program that was like, these are being done by a professional. Please do not practice these movements on your own. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, must be legit in some sense. Everyone was impressed with what he brought to the stage, seeing that he not only took the role seriously, but had the chops to do serious acting. Yeah. Living in New York City during the run, he hoped he would have a little bit more anonymity. However, this would not be the case. Yeah. Fans you're would- in
1: New York City. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Funny enough,
0: that will become the reverse as New York City ages. Uh-huh. I mean, it's the 80s. Fans would discover where he was living or they would, like, find out where his stuff was being kept in the theater. They would steal stuff. And with his popular being as high as it was, he kind of just found it difficult to relax in the city because people would look for him. Yeah. Most disconcerting was one week when a group of girls kept coming to the show, which initially was just chalked up to, like, hardcore David Bowie fans. Mm-hmm. But one night during curtain call, they stood up and appeared to be pulling metallic items from their purses. Security bum-rushed them out of there before anything could happen. David and would never learn what their intention was, though. Hmm. Right? Weird. Right? The fuck? It was weird. Yeah. As, as if that weren't enough, though. Something would happen that didn't just send shockwaves through David Bowie, but nearly all famous musicians at that time. December 8th, 1980. John mm. Lennon was shot and killed by Mark David Chapman in front of his own home. David was beside himself. John was more than his friend. He was like a surrogate brother. And that alone was a terrible feeling. But what made it worse was when they discovered he was on Chapman's backup list if he didn't get to Lennon. Oh, shit. Yeah. He's like, oh, and they basically went to him and they're like, so bad news. (laughs) Don't want to upset you. Yeah. Now, granted, Chapman at this point is arrested, but still. Yeah. A little nerve wracking. The production company offered to hold off on the show for a few nights for David's pr- protection, but he refused, and the show went on as planned, but with heightened security. And mm-hmm. David would have like you know personal bodyguards and stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of musicians did that at that time.
1: I can't remember if I mentioned that in our Beatles series. From I'm pretty earlier sure we all year. mentioned. I
0: think each Beatle got their own security guard yeah. for a while.
1: So. David would continue the
0: rest of the run, where a few nights after the murder of his friend, he looked out at the empty seats where John and Yoko were supposed to be sitting in because they had tickets for a few nights later.
1: That sucks.
0: I know. He did not renew his contract to continue performing The Elephant Man, and he ultimately decided not to tour to promote his newest album. Instead, he just went back to Switzerland to spend time with Zoe. Shit. Yeah. He was freaked out, he was upset. That's a lot to process.
1: Granted, Switzerland is fucking gorgeous. And if I needed to just hang out, spend right? time with people, <laughs> Switzerland, it's Switzerland. Yeah, you're right. You're right.
0: 1981 went with very little to come out from Bowie. He worked with Queen on a lark and they put out Under Pressure. If you want that story, you can go back to our Queen episodes. Mm-hmm. He also worked with Giorgio Mordaire to create the title track for Paul Schrader's film Cat People. It's called mm. Cat People.
1: Putting out the fire.
0: I fucking
1: love cat people. I know. That's why I had to mention it. It's one of my favorite David Bowie songs, if not my absolute favorite. 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 Favorite Bowie. With gasoline. (laughs) It's so great. It's a great song.
0: It's on my cat list. My cat playlist. Your cat playlist. (laughs) I have a cat playlist. It's fine. A surprising two years would pass before we got another release from David Bowie. A well-deserved break, honestly. Like, hold up! I know back then this was not a like long, a long fucking unheard time, of, but nowadays I'm like, no, what are you doing? Just Take a calm break. down. Take a nap. It's fine. <laughs> April '83, he released the album *Let's Dance*. And this started off the MTV video star years for this fucking icon. Let's dance. Put on your Your red red shoes shoes and dance dance the blues. Many of his OG fans would see this album less of a let's dance and more of a let down. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. It took a total turn into pop music. Yeah. And, so, like, his and it OG was a fans turn
1: into pop music.
0: Agreed. But his fans were like, mm-hmm, it seems like you're stealing it. Mm-hmm. David was finally free of his RCA contract and his seven years of owing Tony DeFreeze money. So he wanted to have a completely fresh start. He got picked up by EMI and decided to go to work on new, fresh music. hmm this time around, he decided not to work with his trusty producer, Tony Visconti, and instead opted to work with the hit genius, Nile Rodgers. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. He was in, uh... A...
1: Chic. Chic. Ah, uh, fuck, fuck off! You off. Oh, yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck off. Yeah, that was a great song. Yes. Also, Nile Rodgers is a fucking legend, so... Yeah, he can do whatever the fuck he wants, honestly. I will kindly fuck off, sir. Yes. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. I will. Yes. <laughs> thank you for giving me
0: directions. Yes. <laughs> Bowie wanted hit songs that were going to just be guaranteed to slap, and he asked Nile to help him create these certifiable hits. Yes. Cuz he knew Nile was going Nile was going to be the guy to do it. Yeah. The pair met prior at a club one night. Nile was blown away to see how average David looked. He's just a dude sitting alone in a bar in a basic suit, no makeup, no crazy shoulder pads, because don't forget 80s. I I,
1: I totally understand how Niall Rogers can think anybody looks pretty plain. He's like... Compared to himself. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So he approached the
0: singer, and the two got on right away with common friends like Carlos Alomar and Luther Vandross. They talked about soul and R&B for hours, and a few days later, David asked him to produce.
1: Huh. There was a
0: bit of a problem though, when he forgot to tell Tony that his services were no longer needed. Oh, oh no! Despite telling him to keep December open, when (gasps) Tony called to see what was going on, David's assistant Coco Schwab, because she was still hanging, Uh she told him what happened, and um, that left an understandable bad taste in his mouth. Oh no! And yeah, the two—I mean, he got over it. They do. But they, back, they make up, but it's just like, ooh, he's done a lot for you, dude. You sick. could have at least, like, given him a nice little phone call, like, hey, yeah, Tony. Sick burn, but, like, don't do that. Don't do that. With Nile producing, an entire new cast of players became involved in the process. This included a young Stevie Ray Vaughan, who David what? saw in concert and was supremely impressed with. Wait, year was this?
1: 1982 or 3. <laughs> 1982 or 3. Um. <laughs> oh, I thought Stevie Ray Vaughan was already a thing. Okay, maybe not. Guess not. I think the, this is like him getting a start. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was the 70s guy. Excuse me. Same. I, I do not know my white man blues guys. Same. Same. Sorry. Watch me still be wrong somehow, but that doesn't make <laughs> sense because...
0: I feel Is like you would have heard of Stevie Ray Vaughan before yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. At first, Niall was confused by the choice, with Stevie being seen more like a blues guitarist. Mm-hmm. So he was like, how does this fit in?
1: Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. weird matchup. It was,
0: but it turned out Bowie was right to select this guitarist. He worked well with everyone and added a color to the music that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Like, think about the guitar solo in Let's Dance. Mm-hmm. That's Stevie Ray Vaughan. But it, it's like, it's funky, really? but it has like that little, like the blues yeah. kind of twinge to it. Well, good for him. Right? I was like, shit. All sure. right. And it was cute, too, though, because then uh, Niall and Stevie Ray Vaughan became really good friends.
1: That's nice.
0: I know. I like, I just like all the friendships that happen <laughs> in this story. I'm like, oh, this is cute. This is who I am as a person. oh, they're friends. That's cute. Stevie and Niles
1: being best
0: friends. (laughs) So by losing Tony, he might have had an ugly departure from his friend and collaborator. But gaining Nile, he also had the thing he asked for. Yeah. Certifiable hits. Let's Dance has everything from the title track to Modern Love, China Girl.
1: Modern Love is so good.
0: It's a certifiable bop. Mm Mm-hmm. And the videos that followed put Bowie and everyone's TV on the daily with the help of a newfangled station called MTV. Oh, yeah. Mm. The Let's
1: Dance video is a, a staple yeah. of the early 80s music videos. Yeah,
0: The China Girl one is kind of weird and they had to like ban it or like keep it on at night a little bit. Yeah. There's like a potential beach sex scene.
1: Oh, oh my scandal. delicate
0: sensibilities can't handle that. Oh. Bowie's videos were known for being high budget and featured many a beautiful people to look at. Mm -hmm. It was a path that he took to become a bit more mainstream, more recognizable to the masses. But it was also a way for him to just use more of his creativity and his artistic side. I mean, he loves film. He loves acting. He loves visuals. Yeah. So, yeah, of course he loves making music videos, bitch.
1: That's like his two favorite things
0: put together. Yeah. He's like, oh, this is perfect for me. I'm doing this now.
1: I can do my music and also film. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> While he was enjoying the fruits of that success, he was dismayed to see that MTV did not offer such graces to everyone.
1: Mm. In 83 during... the yeah, no in- fucking shit. Surprise, surprise. I mean- how many fucking white people did you see on MTV? A lot, a whole fuck ton. How David many black Bowie. people did you see? Oh, not a lot. David Bowie steps like
0: Wait a minute. This seems weird. Mm. It's blindingly white in here. <laughs> hmm. In '83, during an interview on MTV, he questioned why they don't show more videos of black musicians. Yeah, because they put out amazing content. Like this is the time of Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones and New James Edition. Brown
1: and new- is it New Edition? Yeah, New Edition was around. Sure. I remember watching New Edition on MTV. I think they were a little bit later, but still. Amazing
0: New Edition's content was, but sure. Hey, Candy
1: Candy Girl Girl is quality content. All right.
0: right. (laughs) (laughs) But MTV basically responded by saying the station had to kind of like, we got to play the videos that fit the expectations for like the whole country, not just New York or LA, but like the Midwest as well, claiming that they would not respond well to a string of black faces on the TV. I see your brain's blown up a little bit. They basically...
1: <laughs> my brain is fireworks right now. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm watching. it. It's kind I'm of fun. Like, inside my head, I can hear it going pew, pew. pew. And over here, I'm like, <laughs> and the rocket's red glare. <laughs> that is very Midwestern, but you know. Yeah. I <sighs> Well, so... To... I I get it but also like you. that is fucked up. Well so here's and you should not be catering to one section of the fucking country. Well that's exactly where B- Bowie goes with that. He actually
0: says, quote, don't say, well, it's not me, it's them. It is not possible it should be a conviction of the station and the radio stations to be fair to make the media more integrated. It was something out of the ordinary to question the intentions of a- MTV basically calling them racist. He's basically saying you have the power to tell people what's cool. Yeah. And instead you're letting, you're blaming them
1: for why you can't show cool things. Yeah.
0: And it's like, no, like that's bullshit. Don't fucking do that. But
1: also, do you think that no black people live in the Midwest? No. It's very much diverse in the Midwest. It's diverse everywhere. Especially in the city centers. So these people are very much wanting to see representation on MTV, but representation is not a fucking thing back then. Well, and also stop and think how many rural
0: Midwesterners had MTV in the 80s, right? Like, not a whole fucking lot of them. the fucking break. It is a cable channel. And it was, you had to
1: like, that was a premium one back then. Mm-hmm. So you had to pay, that was like an HBO. Yeah. So not a lot of people, especially in the Midwest are going to have that fucking channel. Yeah. So, I question highly where they are getting their stats yeah. from. The basic run of that whole thing is just like,
0: good for David Bowie. That is how you're an ally. Yeah. You're not like patting yourself on the back. He's just like doing, he is using his privilege to stand up to like the fucking white men in charge. to like, hold up though. But like, why aren't you doing this for everyone? Yeah.
1: And also, that's a big fuck you to MTV. Mm-hmm. Because MTV had such a major influence on our generation and older generations because for a long time they did actually play music videos. Mm -hmm. And if they're only playing the music videos of white people or people who present white Mm -hmm. or people who make white music... um. That's forming our childhoods. That's yep. forming our opinions. That's yeah. forming who we are as people and how we think about people who look different from us. Yeah. So for someone That's like. fucked
0: up. Right. So for someone like David Bowie to come in, who's like one of their hottest fucking music video distributors at mm-hmm. this point, you know, to come in and say like, hi, no, you need to do better because there are people watching and you're forming their experience. Yeah. A few years later, they do get better. They do eventually get better. But, I mean, eventually, you know. Eventually. But by, I, the they, time,
1: by the time they actually had a really good footing to influence all of us on like, you know, social issues and how we should be voting, how we should be thinking about race and culture, how we should be thinking about social status and everything. They had shows on like Singled Out and Next and just, like... <laughs> All of this shit, and then it turned into, like, you know, not just even garbage. even channel. Yeah, it's yeah. not even a music channel. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't grow up with cable, so. Well, I'm telling you, this is what it's like growing up with the fucking MTV. Well, now I know. <laughs> now you know. I'm angry. She's angry. <laughs> imagine you know to your first that, people. Imagine that. I'm angry about it.
0: <laughs> so Let's Dance may have had its retractors, but it was a total hit for David. It was nominated for Album of the Year at the 26 Grammys, but it lost to Thriller. Which, yeah, everything yeah. lost. Everything, everything loses, loses to thril- thriller. thriller. Yeah. He followed it up with the Serious Moonlight tour, his first his first in five years, and it was extremely successful. Mm. Drugs and alcohol still played a role in his life to a lesser degree, at least, but still, cocaine relapse was common, mm-hmm. especially on tour. He tried to keep it clean, actually kicking Stevie Ray off the tour because of his drug and alcohol use yeah. and not wanting that influence around him.
1: That was uh that was a lot.
0: I bet, <laughs> I don't
1: know. Again, my Stevie Ray Vaughan knowledge is very minimal. He was well known for being like a drug and alcohol abuser.
0: Cool. Yeah. Years down the road, he would admit the album was really more Niles than his. This was the period where David felt a lack of amuse, so instead he reached for chart-topping hits as opposed to his usual flair for the unusual and otherworldly. It's just
1: fine. It's just fine. Yo, Let's pop is... Let's pop is still a dance. <laughs> Let's Dance is still a no, bop. Let's pop is still a dance.
0: <laughs> the rest of his 80s albums followed a similar suit to Let's Dance. Tonight was released in 1984. Not a really strong follow-up. Mm. The process was... Process was a bit rushed, um... David felt a little bit more pressure from the label to come out with some new material. Tonight sees a return of David's friend Iggy and guest vocals from Teen to Turner on mm. the titular track. But the lack of creativity is kind of obvious. It also has a lot of reggae inspiration that was real popular in the 80s but doesn't oh, hold up now. Tell me about it. I just <laughs> did. It does have Blue Jean on it, though, which is a bop.
1: I don't think I know that. You know one. Blue
0: Jean. If you heard it, you'd be like,
1: oh, yeah. Okay. In eighty seven, prove it. <laughs> I mean,
0: I, I will. In eighty seven, he would release his seventeenth studio album called "Never Let Me Down," and unfortunately, it does. Ah, no one came out happy from this. David himself said there was no grit, no authenticity to it. Apparently, he would sometimes go out to lunch during sessions and just leave everyone else to do it, which is like the least David <laughs> Bowie thing ever in the fucking world. He was just donezo. That is
1: like what I imagine doing at my job every single day. I'm just gonna going to go out for a sandwich. I'll be back eventually. And never <laughs> coming just back. fade into the abyss. Just yeah. fucking leave everybody. Yep. I'm done. I'm done here. Yeah. Like,
0: it's just kind of the opposite of what Bowie would normally do because he's so particular. Yeah. He even brought back Carlos Alomar and his childhood friend, fellow musician Peter Frampton, to play on the album. But nothing could bring anything recognizable to what we expect from Bowie on this Mm. record. It's rough. Especially when he brings Mickey Rourke in to help him rap mid-song on Shining Star. I'm sorry, Making what? My Love. Remember how I made you listen to that song yesterday? You sure did. Shining Star, Making My Love. You know how there's a rap in the middle? Yeah. You know who's rapping on that with him? Mickey Rourke. Mm-hmm. Mickey Rourke. How did that happen? Why? Honestly, not really sure. What? He what? met... What? Mickey Rourke apparently met David Bowie in London. They were getting on. They are chatting. And Mickey Rourke's like, hey,
1: can I be on a song? And Bowie's like, all right. What? exactly made either one of them think yeah i can rap drugs you know what like i I don't don't know what made getty
0: lee think he could rap what has made every white man in the world think they can rap there's like maybe two exceptions to that rule
1: uh, but for the most part i'm sorry white men you can't rap. And white women, we can't white, rap either. And white women cannot rap. I can do a good salt and pepper karaoke, but right. I am but not a, a rapper. That's yeah, exactly. You're not there you're not running complete, around. They are two completely different things, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't I don't know. David Bowie, Mickey Rourke, Debbie Everyone. Harry. Stop it. Getty Lee, stop trying to rap. Right? Stop, stop it. it. You you sound Real we'll fucking white. It doesn't work. It's, it it's, doesn't work. It's cheesy. It's geeky. It's it's not good. It's not good. Stop it.
0: Okay, so maybe his solo albums are leaving people with a little bit to be desired, but he was honestly killing it in a new medium, film. Mm-hmm. He was acquiring big roles in a lot of movies that may not have been blockbuster hits, but are definitely cult classics. I'm so excited. In 1983, he played an aging vampire in Tony Scott's *The Hunger*. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry, which I really want to see this movie. I want movie. to see it so bad. Like everything I have seen
0: of it, I'm terrible. Like,
1: this is fucking horrible. I, can't and tell I want to you see it.
0: How many trailers I watched yesterday?
1: So bad, and
0: they are all like, I need to watch these. Like
1: this, this movie makes no sense. I don't understand what's going on. You know the editing's fucking atrocious. The editing is going to be horrible. The acting is not going to be great.
0: I mean, it's going to be as good as Susan Sarandon and David Bowie are capable of. In In the the early 80s. To a script like this.
1: Exactly. And that is why I'm going to watch it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. In the same year, he would have a lead role in Nagisa Oshima's Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Ah. In that, he plays a British POW in a Japanese occupied territory in World War II. I've seen this. I have it. Uh I like it, but it is kind of strange. Um, Yeah. There's a strange vibe to it. Um, The biggest problem I think it has is it needs to be remastered with better subtitles. Yeah. I think if the subtitles were better, because the audio is very, very fucking quiet. Yeah. And Jeremy and I tried to watch it, and like the
1: subtitles are absolute shit. I... I feel like it's going to be about as weird as you would imagine a POW movie starring David Bowie and John Lennon would be. Oh, John Lennon's not in it. Oh, I thought this was the John Lennon movie. No, it's just David Bowie. Of course John Lennon's not in it because it's oh after fucking oh died. God. I'm an idiot. Well, I mean, um, but you didn't know
0: what year it came out.
1: I'm no. going to you have it. Then what was the one that John Lennon was in? I don't remember. I thought it was with David Bowie. No. Well, fuck me. That's fine. All right. Whatever.
0: (laughs) There were a few other fun parts, like a cameo in the Monty Python heavy yellow beard Mm -hmm. and a part in the 1986 film Absolute Beginners, which he wrote the theme to, which is a great song that I never would have known if Lewis didn't always sing it at karaoke.
1: So thank you, Lewis.
0: (laughs) I learned something from you. There you go. But let's just talk about what everyone's here for. Yep. Jim Henson's 1986 musical fantasy piece de resistance, Labyrinth.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Here he plays Jareth, the Goblin King, in his tight pants of glory. Mm. And one of his most iconic and memorable personas to date. I get it. He didn't create this persona, but he made this persona.
1: He made Jareth. I cannot picture anybody else playing this role. No. Who else could have done it? It's David Bowie. Can you imagine like Kiefer Sutherland in this? Can you imagine like Mick Jagger? <laughs> Think or, about it. even better, Keith Richards? <laughs> yeah, I'm just pictured like... He's just like Mick Jagger walking around like... Mick Jagger's just going around. Nothing. Sarah. Sarah. You, nothing. You're never going to find <laughs> your brother in my labyrinth how's this piece of cake see this doesn't read on an audio no, medium it's the entire time we're just
0: pouting our lips and shaking, and shaking our heads. heads
1: back and forth
0: <laughs> Sarah <laughs>
1: <laughs> so if you can picture that it's beautiful <sighs> okay well in 11 hours and 24 minutes you'll be Martin. <laughs> dance magic dance magic it doesn't work it doesn't work it has to be David Bowie. <laughs> Brown sugar! <laughs> anyway.
0: <sighs> David always wanted to write songs for a children's film, so he was ready to throw some of his own magic, dance, into the soundtrack. Yeah. He worked alongside Trevor Jones, who did the instrumentals, and David would write five songs everyone would learn the words to and sing along with. hmm I mean, that wasn't his purpose, but that's
1: what we did. Mm-hmm. This movie is very much imprinted in my brain. Mm-hmm. This is this is my childhood. This
0: is a lot of our generation's people's childhood. Yes. Now, really quick, I didn't grow
1: up with Labyrinth. I grew up with Legend. However, as I got older, I discovered Labyrinth, and I love it. Oh, I grew up with Legend, too. Mm. Like, Legend, Labyrinth, and Neverending Story were the trifecta. <laughs> but also, like, I cannot... Overstate how much influence Labyrinth has had on me as a person, my interests, mm-hmm. who I am, you what got a I tattoo. love. I have a goddamn labyrinth tattoo. She does. She did it. And it's a pretty big one, too. It's nice. This movie is so much more than just a movie. It's kind of like how we feel about Lord of the Rings now. Oh, yeah. It's so much more than just a movie. It's it's, a heavy it's in my blood. It is in my blood. And it's like one of those movies that I can probably recite word for word while I'm watching it. Mm. And I cannot tell you how much David Bowie did for little Ashley's sexuality. Mm-hmm. Because not just the bulge. Because, Mm-mm. oh, what a bulge it is. What a bulge. <laughs> <laughs> but like he was very androgynous. As he always mm-hmm. has been. But he introduced an androgynous character that was, you know, relatively masculine, but had a whole lot of femininity. Very graceful. Very, um, I don't know, non-binary in a way. Yeah. Um, No, I think there's a very
0: equal yin and yang to that. Yeah, like
1: he leaned masculine, but there was so much femininity that was still attractive, Mm -hmm. even to young straight people. Yeah. And he was elegant, and it's like, <laughs> you weren't supposed to like him. But you did. But you did. Yo, I didn't see it until I was in high school. Again, thank you, Lewis. No. But I 100% I... would have stayed with him. If I were given the choice that yes. Sarah was given, fuck yeah, I'd I stay was, with maybe him. Maybe especially because I saw it when I was in high school. I was like, Sarah chose the kid? Right? I mean, I guess she's supposed to, but why? Like, that's that's what you're supposed to choose, but like... no. No. Can you imagine? If I were an adult and, and then, that like,
0: happened. And then like Toby becomes a cute little goblin. It would be so much fun.
1: That'd be great. it would be
0: great. You I would just... have stopped to be like, I'm sorry, hold up. Wait, you took away my baby brother. And I get I'm to bone you.
1: Yeah, I'm here for I this. get to bone you. We're together forever. I'm a queen. Mm-hmm. And I rule over this sick ass fucking labyrinth. And I get to live in this teapot castle. Fuck yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, that sounds great. I feel like then David Bowie would have been like,
0: oh, I don't think I'm wanting anymore. This was too easy.
1: Oh, you want an open relationship? We can do that. That's fine. I can seduce my own people in the real world. That's oh my fine. God. I'm going to be a queen. I'm going to be a queen. <laughs> I'm going to be a queen. But yeah, this <laughs> is one of those movies that I loved as a kid. I still love it as an adult. Yeah, It does. It holds up. Mm hmm. Like a lot of Jim Henson movies do, yeah, it fucking holds up.
0: So one last little cute piece of trivia before we move on. The song Chilly Down, Bowie wrote that, and there is, you can look up a demo of him singing
1: it. Is that the fiery song? Yes. It's really <laughs> It's called cute. Chilly Down? It's called Chilly
0: Down. <laughs> I thought it was getting down with the firies. I mean, that's like, you know, it's like cat people getting down with the firies. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's but that makes down. sense. They're the Fiery's. It's chilly down. Chilly down. Get it? Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Chilly down with the fires. And there's a making of documentary out there somewhere where they show you how they did the Fiery yeah. scene. And it's fucking amazing. It's so cool. And it was before they had green screens, so they used a black screen. Yes, that's right. And all of the puppeteers dressed head to toe in black mm-hmm. and attached the fiery's puppets yep, to, to, the, their bodies, to their right. bodies so that they could actually move them around like an yeah. actual like human. That's what David Bowie did in his SNL performance. That makes sense. Yup. That's where he got it. So fucking cool. I fucking love Labyrinth. I wish we could go on a tirade about how much I love it, but I will stop now. I have so much notes. I have <laughs> <laughs> but also I have so many mental notes about Labyrinth.
0: Yeah. David didn't just focus on music for films. He did a few side projects as well. Like most artists in 1985, he performed at Wembley Stadium as a part of Live Aid. Mm Mm-hmm. A part of that included a cover of Dancing in the Street that he did with his friend rival Mick oh Jagger. Fucking,
1: oh, my fucking God.
0: It started oh as God. an idea for them to duet it for Live Aid, but Bowie was going to be at Wembley in the UK and Jagger was going to be at the JFK Stadium in the US and they were supposed to like live duet it that oh, way. Oh, this
1: is like uh, Wayne's World when they were duetting with U2, but U2 is in England and they were in yes. New York.
0: However, technology wasn't right. At that point, you couldn't time the sync at that point. It's
1: 1985, bitch. What do you think this
0: is? Yo, my Zoom meeting lags some fucking times, (laughs) all right? So, like, instead they ended up with a haphazard music video of them trying to outdo each other instead. The song did great, though. Mm -hmm. Topping the UK charts and landing in the Billboard Top 10. And, I mean, it was made with good intentions to help with Live Aid proceeds, so it can't all be bad. Also... Now we have the musicless music video for it, so like, do yourselves a favor, look up musicless music video dancing in the street. Yeah, you're welcome. But you know who one of the video that video's biggest fans is? Who? David Bowie. He apparently (laughs) came across it later on and was like, "This is fucking hilarious." Call it out around around the the world. world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, he loved it. He thought it was the funniest shit in the world. It is the funniest shit in the entire world. David Bowie can laugh at himself. Good. I appreciate that. (laughs) So after the release of Never Let Me Down in 1987, David decided to try once again to launch the tour to end all tours. Oh. He called it the Glass Spider Tour after one of the tracks on the album. Mm -hmm. It would be a multimedia experience, complete with music and visuals to entertain all attendees. Yeah. Vignettes would appear on screen with the theme of rock stars versus reality. There were dancers all over the stage. And songs were not picked because of their popularity. They were picked because what would best accompany the theatrical aspect of it. Okay. Which unfortunately meant a lot of Never Let Me Down. Oh, no. Yeah. The real showstopper would be a giant glass spider created to come on tour with them it was sixty feet high and sixty four feet wide, oh my God, The legs were filled with color changing lights, and David would descend down to the stage from the spider's stomach at the beginning of each show.
1: Was he trying to outdo Iron Maiden or something? I don't even know if Iron Maiden like had Eddie the way they had him at this point, yeah, they did well, then I mean, he's trying to outdo Iron Maiden, but I mean, probably not that big, no, it was a lot,
0: yeah, it was a lot. David actually invested over ten million of his own dollars to
1: help fund it. Ten million? Uh, I in nineteen eighties dollars? Mm-hmm. Holy fuck. Yeah. Honestly, though, it's probably about the same as it is now because it was the nineteen eighties and trickle down economics. That worked, right? Totally. That's why we keep
0: doing it. Just to transfer the set from place to place cost a massive sum. And then he discovered the spider was too big in a lot of the venues, so he had to have a slightly smaller one made. And this one would be called the Junior Bug Set. They're not bugs. <laughs> I know, that's the best part. They're not bugs. They're arachnids. <laughs> God damn it. <sighs> but the tour sold like gangbusters. People wanted to see this elaborate setup. However, critics did tear it apart, saying it was bloated and overproduced. You're bloated and overproduced. (laughs) (laughs) I say this might have some heft. However, what I do want to say is for what it's worth... This tour did change the game for larger acts going forward. Artists like U2 and Madonna would catch this tour and use it as inspiration for their own shows, realizing that they can go much bigger than they've been before. Yeah. This show was, like, the very beginning of lavish arena tours. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about, like, the crazy shit you've seen in, like, big pop acts. Like, Mm -hmm. I've seen Lady Gaga perform. Yo, this girl. I'm like, Bowie. 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 How much Bowie inspiration do you have, girl? Is all of it? Okay, cool. (laughs) It was really good, though. It was a really good show. But yeah, I mean, like, shows have turned into theatrical performances now if they're an arena. Because you can't just be on a stage and sing in an arena. Yeah. It's just not going to work anymore. Especially
1: if you're going to pay $200 a fucking ticket. But at the same time, it's $200 a fucking ticket because these tours are such grandiose you know, productions.
0: They're just—they're so. just going buck wild, pretty much. Another decade was ending for David Bowie, who would be hitting forty-three at the beginning of nineteen ninety. So old, I know. Nowadays, people wouldn't blink an eye at that number, no. but back then, people were appalled that he even had the balls to keep trying. They said he was washed up, and he even had to fight off rumors that he had issues with arthritis. What?
1: He's 43. He's 43. Find a fucking chill seat, my peoples. Take several seats and shut the fuck up.
0: Put some ice on him. Chilly down. <laughs> <laughs> he was about to throw in the towel and focus instead on his art. But during the Glass Spiders tour, he happened to get a demo tape from his PR manager. It was her husband, Reeves Gabrels. David had met him while touring and quite liked the guy and thought his guitar playing had a unique sound to it.
1: Wait, whose husband? Uh,
0: just a PR manager on oh, tour. Okay. I forgot her name. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. After spending so much time trying to make music to please the masses, he decided it'd be nice to go back to making music that he just wanted to make. Oh, shit. What? <laughs> I know. They would end up recruiting twin brothers for their rhythm section, Tony and Hunt Sales on ba- bass and drums, respectively.
1: I enjoy that they are a set of twins that don't have rhyming names. You know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Reeves and Bowie found these brothers through Iggy
0: Pop, who had, hit, who had them on his Lust for Life album. Oh. And around that time, even he found that they were a little too wild for his vibe. (laughs) He dismissed them with quote, you're like heroin, I don't need you. Oh. Yeah. Ouch. You know when Iggy Pop says, you're like heroin, I don't need you, it's like, ooh. Sick sick burn. That is a sick burn. At this point, I guess they mostly cleaned up their acts, so David felt comfortable enough to have them on board. The four joined forces and called themselves Tin Machine. It was agreed at the beginning that they would be a legit band, a democracy of four people. It wasn't just going to be Bowie with a backing band. However, that's all people ever saw it as. Bowie was really trying to be like, but it's not. We're a band. And everyone's like, "Mm, but you're Uh, David Bowie.
1: But also at that point, you have made your name through so many years, just you and a backing band. That's all people are going to see it as. Yep. But he's trying. Just imagine if Lady Gaga formed a band and was like, "No, we're a band." Yeah, if it's
0: not a supergroup, it ain't a band, honey.
1: Yeah, that's not. It's not. It's, it's not, not going to happen.
0: I suppose they would see this as a positive because it didn't really sound like it was Bowie with a backing band. Um, the songs were kind of too bland to truly be a Bowie oh. solo project. It kind of lacked the musical creativity and excitement that we really know and love Bowie for. And it was it's a bit minimalist and prodding. I don't love the Tin Machine albums.
1: Yeah. I would not suggest them to anyone. I truly have <laughs> never even heard of them, so that's how Prolific they are, it I guess. It sounds like Bowie just because Bowie's singing, right? The music is just not,
0: not good. It's it's not bad. It's nothing. It's yeah. boring. It's very boring. Vanilla, Which not is... even like Philly vanilla. Yeah,
1: just plain. Not even I mean, French like, vanilla. This shit like... is
0: like that. Like knockoff equate. Vanilla. <laughs> Does Equate make ice cream? No, nope, But you know what? They do now. They do
1: now. It is e- Walmart generic brand. It was it was vanilla. It's not
0: great. And it gets like too sticky and you're like, oh, it's too much.
1: Oh, and it's just like super fake vanilla tasting. Yeah, well, Initially, their
0: self-titled release did sell well, but that quickly dropped off because then people are like, oh, this isn't good. Hmm. Some were excited that Bowie was trying a hard rock sound. And others saw it as another vanity project where he once again missed the mark. EMI was also quite unimpressed with this band. And they were kind of like tapping their foot like, Bowie, when you when you going to go back to being solo? Because this shit sucks. <laughs> the band toured to support the album. It was a small bare bones affair without the extreme theatrics of
1: his previous tour. Mm-hmm. They were just four dudes with songs to perform. And, oh, that's not good either no. because like it's just four dudes just... playing really vanilla songs at like a small venue. Yeah,
0: They're, you're trying to earn your chops, but you're like that sad like local band that's never going to go anywhere.
1: <laughs> Who sounds just like Finger Eleven and is just like, yeah, they didn't sound like Finger Eleven. They sounded like nineties hard no. rock. No, I'm just I'm just thinking of like some generic. 90s band, fair enough. That's just playing clubs, opening yep. for Nickelback. Yeah, and you're finger. Like, oh, you ooh. sound like Finger Eleven.
0: <laughs> they would try to make Tin Machine a thing for a couple more years. No In nine- years? Come yeah, it was like a several years. It was like a handful of years, like four years. Oh my god! In '91, they released Tin Machine Two and embarked on the It's My Life tour. I'm okay. waiting for you to make a Bon Jovi joke. Oh, I went
1: straight to Talk Talk. It's my life. Oh, I was like, "It's my life," (laughs) and it's now. This, this is how. Yeah, this is. I don't like it. No, I don't like that's where I went. I don't like it either because I immediately think of No Doubt, and then I'm like, Mm. anyway. So they go on tour. They promote it
0: from October ninety one to February ninety two. They released a live album of the tour, went
1: nowhere, and not long after that, they would dissolve. Is this why Bowie was, like, persona non grata in the 90s? Like, he just did not exist in the 90s? I mean, this is why he didn't exist in the beginning of the 90s? Right, that's what I mean. And then, like, he got, you know. I will make
0: arguments that I think Bowie didn't want to be. You know, like, really big the way he was before either. Like, I think he just wanted to be recognized for music and not a persona.
1: So this was on purpose, kind of.
0: Yeah, he genuinely wanted to see where this would go. Mm -hmm. This was really, I don't want to say relaxing, but it was a really good break for him to kind of step back. Work with other people again. Less stressful. Less pressure. Exactly. And I think this was just a nice chance for him to kind of do some self-discovery as well as just try something different. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to give Bowie credit for that. He's like, I want to try this. I just want to see where it goes. If it doesn't go anywhere, I'll fucking walk away. It's not that big a deal.
1: Mm -hmm. Which I think that's good, you know. That is. But like, are the people in your band kind of banking on it? Are they getting a paycheck either way? I mean, they'll get a paycheck either way. Again, like, they were equal shares of a band. So
0: whatever tin machine shit sells, it goes to everybody.
1: Well, that's good.
0: But, like, if Bowie leaves, Bowie's going to be fine because he's fucking Bowie.
1: Right. He's going to be fine. But, like, are the other people that are working for you going to... But that's the thing.
0: They're not working for him. So if the band doesn't work because the four of them are like, this doesn't work. And honestly, they're all fine. They will all be fine. Good. Like, the brothers still get, like, some session work. Reeves is gonna keep working with him. It's fine. Well, that's good. Yeah. You know, and, like, some would say it was because Bowie was ready to do something else, but actually others would say it was due to Hunt's rekindled drug addictions and Bowie's Mm -hmm. like, I can't be around this shit. Even though Bowie would still, like, once in a while, like, do his little, like, party coke. Yeah. He still didn't want to be around somebody he was constantly using.
1: Much like Iggy Pop. He was, like, Get the fuck out. I don't need you. Yeah.
0: No, they were just like this. You know what? Let's just let's just break it off now. Mm -hmm. No matter how you want to look at the tin machine years, it did help inspire David to get back on that musical horse and keep trying to make music his way. This experience, as well as his sound and vision tour that he performed in 1990, where he played the classics, was all kind of what reminded him like where he came from, where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do. So this was a really good sidestep for him, Mm -hmm. personally. Like, yeah, maybe the music's not great, but that's fine. He makes some bops. Like, yo, shit gets real good back in the end of the 90s. Let's just say that. During this time, David certainly found something else to distract him from tin machine work. Mm. One night at a dinner party, he met a woman that left him absolutely bereft of words. As she does all of us. Her name was Aman Abdul Majid. A famous model born in Somalia and discovered while studying poli sci at the University of Nairobi. And fucking gorgeous. Yo.
1: Stunning.
0: Amon got them looks, but damn, she got that brain. Yes. She got it all. Yeah. David was head over heels immediately because this girl is the whole fucking package. She's fire. Fire. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Perfect. She is perfection in a little package. Yes. Beautiful. Amon was also a divorcee, though, and hesitant to get in any kind of, like, long-term relationship, especially with a musician.
1: hmm
0: Understandable. hmm But David was persistent, feeling that no other two belonged together more than them.
1: And he was right. And he was right.
0: He courted her the old-fashioned way. At first, it would just be simple dates for tea and coffee, and then he would do sweet things like meet her on the Tamarack when she would fly back home from a business trip, flowers in hand.
1: That's adorable.
0: She would just be there. She came back from a parish trip and they were still like just kind of fresh kind of dating. Mm -hmm. And she just sees him. She's like, oh, shit. This guy's serious. Fuck. Oh, man. Like one time her like shoelace is untied and he like stopped to like tie it for her. He had like she was like blown away with the fact that he would hold doors open for her, which makes me like wonder, like, girl, where did you come from? (laughs) Like, that's a bare minimum. for just humans in general. Yeah. But yeah, I like he just did. This sweet old fashioned courting with her. And he's like, I will take my time. You're worth it. This Aww. is gonna fucking happen because I'm fucking in love with you. That's very Their sweet. fucking story. Honestly, if melts it were me, I would probably heart. be super weirded oh, out I know, right? <laughs> and be like, What the fuck are you doing? You are creepy, leave me alone. I think <laughs> Bowie also has a genuineness to him that and, wouldn't make it creepy. And
1: Hopefully a non-threatening nature that Mm -hmm. would make it not creepy. Yeah. So I think I think Bowie has the charisma to make that work. The charm. Mm -hmm. He's also David fucking Bowie. He's also David fucking Bowie. Mm -hmm. So who are we to judge?
0: Honestly, who are we?
1: They would develop a loving bond and
0: a strong relationship. Amon would tell people that she fell in love with David Jones, not David Bowie. She was one of the few people who got to see him at the core of who he Mm. was. A year later, he would propose, and she would, of course, say yes. They would marry in April 1992 and would stay together until death did them part. Yeah, Marrying Amon finally gave David that final push, too, to completely give up on drugs and drink. He still had a hard time with the cigarettes, but, like, once their daughter came along,
1: like, in another few
0: years, he was going to, like, slowly drop that habit, habit too.
1: And from what I understand, they had a very lovely house in upstate New York. I was going to talk about that later. I'll shut up
0: about it. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're fine. I thought you didn't know. I was going to be a little treat for you. Mm. (laughs) I know you love celebrities with their I upstate do. House, New York
1: house. I do. It makes me feel special. No, it doesn't. You hate it. I hate it, but it makes me feel special. But it's fine that David Bowie does it. It makes me feel special that I used to see Meryl Streep in the grocery store. You're like, And I my dad you. played hockey with Michael J. Fox.
0: Oh, see, that's really fucking cool, though. Right? That's cool.
1: Your dad didn't deserve that. He didn't. But you know what? It happened, and I'm still going to brag about it.
0: With a refreshed look at music, David went back to recording. He asked Nile Rogers to come back, but this time he wasn't looking for him to write hits. He wanted to experiment more into electronica and R&B sounds. Because, like, you know, we're in the 90s. Electronica, come on. Like, R&B was in a new kind of, like, form. Oh, it was New Jack Swing. Oh, God, New Jack Swing. That wasn't what he was looking for, but, like, no, can but, we just stop and be like... But
1: can we stop and appreciate New Jack Swing? Just because... a moment of silence for New Jack Swing.
0: Ultimately, while the recording process wasn't a toxic one, they tended to butt heads a lot, with Niall bringing a lot of commercial riffs to David, which got rejected outright.
1: It just sounds stock, man. He's like, "That's oh, shut up, Lars. I can't even. I can't even. It just sounds stock. Delete that. <laughs> Delete that. <laughs> <sighs> they agreed
0: on some of the more experimental sounds, but overall had differing views on the end result. A few other old faces came back for this album too. Mick Ronson on guitar and pianist Mike Garson. Oh. I know. He was like, hey, old friends, come back. And they're like, all right. And even Bowie's saxophone. (gasps) It would be featured more on this album than any
1: other. Oh, shit. And everyone would be like, Bowie's okay at saxophone. (laughs) He's not he's not doing any sexy sax riffs. But he's he, but he, is, he is passable. A, he is a serviceable sax. He's a serviceable service Serv- sax,
0: sax player. Sax player. Yeah, now you know uh, we've had too much to drink.
1: And we've had a lot of
0: 9 and 10% or so. Yeah, we're not doing ourselves any favors. The resulting album was 1993's Black Tie White Noise. It lacked some cohesiveness, but overall was a step in the right direction. David was getting his footing back. Going to Electronica was a good move for him. Mm-hmm. One song on the album that's painfully personal is Jump, they say. It was written for David's elder half-brother, Terry, who died eight years prior when he escaped from Cain Hill Hospital and took his own life. Oh, shit. I do not want to get in the details of that. Just know, he took his own life. Bowie was incredibly crushed by it. And... Of course, it affected him for the rest of his life. That
1: is something that is hard to deal with. Not just the fact that he had um, mental health issues his entire life, Mm -hmm. but I mean, that is a tragic way to to go. Yeah. I mean, mental illness is no joke. No fucking joke.
0: You know, hopefully as we've gotten more accepting to normalizing it, people can get Help they truly need and don't have to feel like there's only yeah. one way out
1: it's kind of it's upsetting because, um, maybe if he could have held out another decade or so, mm. he could have really gotten probably better help than right. he was getting before, but who even knows like if who like, knows <laughs> his quality of life? I don't know what kind yeah. of facility he was at, or you know what was going on yep. what his treatment was, who knows, yeah, but I mean, it it could have at least been more accepting. Yeah. It just, it was overall just really tragic. It's just sad. Yeah.
0: It sucks. So interestingly about the song, there's like this funk contemporary jazz instrumentation that is really striking against the lyrics. It's just about this hopeless man at the end of his rope, but it's really... Indicate, indicative of Bowie at his most creative storytelling. Like to listen to the song, I really suggest it. it's a great song. It's like this, like wild, like you know, contemporary jazz, like really kind of all over the place, mm-hmm. which I think um, is attributed to like Terry's mental illness, mm-hmm. um, and just like these lyrics of this, this man who's like, I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's like David Bowie at his best doing that having those dichotomies against each other yeah just i don't know just thought it was worth mentioning highly suggest that track especially off of that album it is a good album and i think that's a good track definitely to start with mm-hmm. he was able to take his experimentation to a new level for the soundtrack for the bbc movie adaptation of the novel the buddha of suburbia it includes nods to his earlier work from the man who sold the world to *Low*. Also, it's the bridge that brings us to the rest of his work for the decade. Mm-hmm. Like, you listen to this, and then you go into the next, and you're like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Namely, it helps us to understand how David got to recording the album One Outside, the Nathan Adler Diaries, A hypercycle. Some people just call it outside. Some people call it One Outside. It's okay. like the
1: number one outside. This is some rush shit. I'm enjoying it. This oh, is, you're this gonna, is, oh, you're gonna. Oh, you're gonna. This is big Chongus. <laughs> this definitely has some big Chongus vibes. Big Chongus energy. Yes. yes. Bce
0: big, big Chongus energy. energy.
1: That can be our motto for 2022. I like it. <laughs>
0: It can be considered another concept album in the Bowie discography for sure. Oh, yeah. This is Big Chungus energy. I'm feeling it. Oh, just wait. It follows the story of Detective Nathan Adler investigating the murder of a 14-year-old girl. It was supposed to be a series of albums, but that never came to be. He said he was somewhat inspired
1: by Twin Peaks. No fucking shit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that makes fucking sense. Yep. He yep. is Detective Dale Cooper. Oh, Holy hello. shit. Hello, mm. sir. Hello, oh. Detective Cooper. Oh. Mm. I enjoy this. Mm. I like this Twin Peaks David Bowie mashup. He's a real He snack. should have fucking guessed it on Twin Peaks. He was supposed to on the new <gasps> series. But of course.
0: But of course. Mm. Another inspiration was shared by his friend Brian Eno, who he brought back to work on this album with him. Hmm. They both became interested in neo-paganism and ritualistic hmm. arts, including tribalism, scarification, tattoos. Because, like, and that was getting raw hot by like the mid nineties. Oh yeah, that was like a
1: thing, like mid to late nineties. Like, if you got on, if you went on your AOL mm-hmm. and you um searched for like. You know, alternative body modification. Oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah. I even looked at that shit when I was like 14, early two thousands. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was mm-hmm. really into like seeing what was up in that. Yeah, what scarification? Oh no, <laughs> that was me. I'm sorry, hanging by hooks. Okay, are oh. we in strange land? Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about that ever. Not yet. Shut your mouth. Not yet. In this
0: world they created, there is a thing called art crimes, which include murder and mutilation left out for the public to see and consume. It's a bleak, gothic horror type of world. Gritty, sad, very (laughs) (laughs) sepia-toned. And it really comes through in the music video for The Heart's Filthy Lesson. And when you see this video, because I highly suggest you watch it, you'll feel like maybe you've seen this somewhere before. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's fine. So, come with me. Okay. Come with me on this journey. All right. So, this is how I look at it. David Bowie influenced post-punk, new wave, new romantics, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that a lot of the artists in the industrial music scene cite bands from those genres as influences. Correct. Right? Right. Especially a certain Trent Reznor, mm-hmm. who also looks to Bowie as a muse for his own creative juices. Indeed. Who listened to Lowe like all the time while he was writing Downward Spiral.
1: Including that one bird that, you know, he really liked when he worked at the pet shop. Oh, his Bowie bird. <laughs> his Bowie bird. I'm sure there was a bird that looked like Ziggy Stardust or some shit. And Aww. he was like, this is my muse.
0: <laughs> 80s Bowie is beautiful i love it so bowie is not so much up his own ass as i explained earlier that he can't Mm -hmm. learn from the new guard and after grabbing nine inch nails downward spiral he was moved
1: to try out some of this like dark electronica bass sound he was like i do want to fuck you like an animal he's like "Mm." also i'm inspired by the shell he's holding up (laughs) what is that what is is this a conch
0: <laughs> but like, if you watch the heart's filthy lesson, like you get some heavy closer vibes oh, up yeah. in this bitch. Yeah, like it's it's so
1: it's yeah yeah. Like I yeah. said, I do want to fuck you like an animal. He does love that conch shell. <laughs> I do want to feel you from the inside. My God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably that's also how he ended up having nine inch nails open for him for the outside tour from 95 God to 96
1: damn it that must have been an amazing show can you imagine
0: if we were old enough to appreciate and go to that show
1: imagine do you imagine
0: i i am and i'm i hate my life i hate
1: myself because i have not gone to that show so just wait and this tour
0: would be very Bowie indeed. First of all, it attracted mostly Nine Inch Nail fans, mm-hmm. who for some reason, that is completely lost on me, didn't like or even know Bowie. I, yeah, like I want you to understand that these people who were going to the show who weren't us didn't appreciate what they were seeing.
1: Um. Yep. Mm. Yep. Did they burn at the stake as soon as they exited? I hope so. Because they should have been. Mm.
0: Trent would open with some Nine Inch Nails stuff and then he'd do some Bowie stuff. Then Bowie would come out. They do some duets, incre- including the incredible fucking duet of Hurt that they do, which is still probably the best thing I've seen in my fucking life. <sighs> yeah.
1: But also, People like, didn't
0: appreciate this. Kill me? Kill me.
1: Um, But also, that sounds amazing. Yeah.
0: So then Trent would leave the stage and then David would perform mostly his stuff off of Outside, refusing to do any hits for the show. So even if the Nine Inch Nails fans stayed, which a lot of times they left after Trent, um, ultimately they wouldn't know most of the songs. Which is a goddamn shame because I will say, Outside is a great album. Mm-hmm. Like, you can listen to it today, it's still really fucking good and yeah. holds up for sure. Yeah. Highly suggest... There are three albums outside of, like, the mainstay Bowie discography that I suggest to people. Outside, Earthling, The Next Day. Mm -hmm. Those fucking albums are so good and criminally underrated. Mm -hmm. Just throwing that out there. Fight me if you don't agree.
1: I mean, I kind of feel like anything he put out in the 90s is probably criminally underrated. Yeah, for the most part. Except for Tin Machine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, okay, mid to late 90s. Yeah, there we go. That's better. (laughs) That's better.
0: But, like, this was fine with David. He wasn't going to compromise. And there was probably something about subverting the expectations that gave him a little smirk. You know, like, yeah, of course you don't (laughs) like this. Hey, you
1: suck my dick. (laughs) Oh, wait, leave it. Gargle my balls, bitch. I I don't fucking
0: care. I would love it if that's what Bowie was thinking, but I doubt it.
1: (laughs) Gargle my balls the whole time he's performing. Gurgle my balls. Gurgle my balls. People, <laughs> people accused him of
0: just like being some old dude trying to be hip. But in fact, he was merely following his own creativity. The fact that not many people got that was probably a sign that he was doing it right. Yeah. Also like the 90s. Can we talk about and
1: that? And also the 90s were such a cesspool of garbage. But
0: also a cesspool of wonderful.
1: And And- a cesspool of wonderful that was completely underappreciated and is just now getting looked backed on with favorability. Mm-hmm. So many Bowie albums are like, now that they're re-looking mm-hmm. at it, I'm like, how about you re at my balls? How about you gargle my balls? Gargle my balls. Look at my balls, gargle my balls. Yeah. Do it
0: both. As I talked about in the Nine Inch Nails series, David and Trent developed both a friendship and working relationship. Trent was brought on for the track I'm Afraid of Americans, featured on Bowie's next album, Earthling. Yep. Again, fucking solid album. We were now in the late 90s and technology changed a lot since the Ziggy Stardust years. Still all about experimentation and inspired from everything he was seeing and doing from the outside tour, it was easy to dip right back into the studio and work on his next album. And he brought back Reeves Gabriel to co-produce and they brought on Mark Platy who was well-versed in the world of digital production. So then Earthling would be his first album made completely digitally.
1: That's so weird and crazy.
0: I know. But he was, and like Bowie was like here for it. Yeah. He wanted to always be on top of like the newest kind of technological advances. But I
1: kind of feel like 90s were kind of late. Yeah. For that. I know. It's kind of crazy that he waited so long to do anything digitally because like complete this is completely he's done like some digital
0: but this was the one time he was like nope all of it's digital.
1: But I kind of feel like like even Buffy St. Marie was doing stuff digitally and Mm -hmm. like record she was one of the first people to record an entire album over the internet and that was in the 80s. Yeah that is weird. So it's kind of weird to
0: me that I think it just wasn't something that was catching on. Maybe. I think people just weren't ready for it. And then when it started, it was like, oh, shit, you guys realize this? (laughs) Oh, shit. Uh, Oh, fuck. They spit out the balls. They're gargling. They're like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So the instrumentation was recorded live and processed through samplers and synthesizers to distort them. Ultimately, they wanted the songs to be easy to remix at a club. Mm-hmm. They like Bowie was like, I want like DJs to grab this shit off the shelf and remix the shit out of this. I
1: want every motherfucker who is high on ecstasy to be dancing their fucking lives away to this. To I'm afraid of Americans. To I'm afraid of Americans. I want to paranoid the fuck out of everybody at this rave. Good for him.
0: David also went back to his old cut up method to make his lyrics, but this time it's really cool. He had a friend create a software program to do it for him.
1: Huh? They called it the verbisizer.
0: (laughs) I've got thoughts. Uh, I I
1: have thoughts. Not the greatest name. It sounds like it's doing something like really gross and it's the verbisizer. Probably painful. Yeah.
0: But you know what? He's got great lyrics. Yeah. But what he would do is he would type in sentences, set it to randomize, and then like the computer program would just take it and, like, create, like, new words, whole new sentences. And, like, so then he's using his cut-up method in Uh a quarter of the time that he was doing before. This is,
1: like, some ridiculous 80s movie Apple II kind of technological bullshit. I'm pretty sure it was made on Apple II. (laughs) Probably. If you ask me,
0: industrial looks good on Bowie. Mm -hmm. It's a sensible step forward for the way he his creative mind works. It's futuristic and dark with room to try new things. And some critics thought he was jumping on the electronical bandwagon and trying like a jungle beat drum and bass kind of album. But overall, like Earthling is a well-loved addition to his pantheon and helped to garner him more commercial success in this decade. Like, it made people who were like, oh shit, Bowie is more than like Major Tom and Ziggy plays guitar. And let's guitar dance. And let's dance. Like, yeah. he is a versatile fucking musician. Mm-hmm. Like, it's genuine. It is not like some lame attempt to stay hip by any fucking means. David also stayed on top of modern technology when he released his 1999 album Hours through his website as a digital download before mm-hmm. physical copies were available. He was actually one of the first musicians to do this. He is the exact opposite of Lars. Literally. I was thinking that when I typed these notes. Oh, yeah. I was
1: like, hey, you know who didn't get pissed <laughs> off mm-hmm. about Napster? Mm-hmm. David Bowie. Mm-hmm. One of the most successful musicians in the world. And still beloved.
0: Yeah. Look, he saw the writing on the wall. Music was going digital and it would be imperative to grow with the times.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Imagine that. Weird. What the fuck kind of mentality is that? It's called not being a total douche nozzle. It's called not being a greedy fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Bowie, again, he's, you know what? Creativity was his number one. Yeah. Like, the money, money was great. Was number three. I'm, what was number two? Fucking? Not anymore. He had him on to fuck. Oh, God.
0: Sorry, I just started thinking about Bowie and him on fucking. Let's continue. <laughs> Gone were the days of the Mercurial Bowie, highest of highs and lowest of lows. Ever-changing personas, that was a thing of the past. Mm -hmm. While some thought that meant he was kind of a musical fossil, nothing could be farther from the fucking truth. Not at all. And at least he was getting recognized for his accomplishments, even if his current work was being overlooked. Mm -hmm. In 96, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Guess what? We don't have to get mad about that. But also, he's a white man.
1: But also, the Hall of Fame means nothing. I know. So, like, but I'm just happy we don't balls. have to. I'm just happy we don't have to get mad. Yeah, I don't have to get mad about that. Right. Not like we got mad about Rush.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And also, he received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 97. Cool.
1: So, like, people are like, yo, this Bowie dude's cool. So the Scientologist can set up a booth right over it and try and give people some stress meter tests. Cool. Yeah, and sell their fucking books and whatever yeah sure That's what, right yeah yeah while those were all well and good nothing gave david
0: pride like the birth of his daughter nah. lexi was born in the year 2000 the
1: year 2000 <laughs> thank you
0: he took to fatherhood with all the seriousness this time around and would do
1: his best to balance work with child rearing but actually prioritize the latter yeah. And honestly, she's fucking gorgeous. She is like the absolute perfect amalgamation of David Bowie and Iman. Seriously. So he hit a point of
0: reflection in his 50s, he got healthier physically and mel- mentally. His outlook turned into the opposite of nihilism, and now he loved his work and loved his life.
1: And turned into a regally beautiful person. No, he glowed. Well, I know.
0: He didn't even glow up, because he he always looked good. He just glowed.
1: He just glowed. He just
0: glowed. Oh, my God. And I think it's just because he had a really good life that he loved, and he glowed more.
1: Oh, my God. I just realized (laughs) that. And I got like, oh. no. What is that like? Are we gonna get that in our fifties? I don't think we are, but you know, we're you know, we're, we're still, still gonna have dick jokes. We're gonna god smack it. In we our are 50s. gonna god smack it. And
0: people are gonna be like, They look like they're god smacking it.
1: Yeah. Now go away.
0: He was releasing more albums in the early aughts: Heathen in two thousand two, and Reality the next year. A tour for that album kicked off in October two thousand three, but would end prematurely in the summer of two thousand four. Why? It started during their show in Prague. David complained of excruciating chest pains, and the band played a couple songs without him so he could, like, go backstage, just sit back, recover a little bit, go, we got this, just just take take your time. He came back, he finished the set sitting down. He ended up seeing a doctor who was just kind of like, oh, no big deal, don't worry, you seem fine. Yeah, that, nope. That's it was like, he, he went to Blooming Grove Vet. <laughs> that is
1: a very guys, personal, vocal is, to oh, us joke. It is, because we both take our dogs to the same vet, and... This vet sucks balls. It sucks balls, guys. Yeah.
0: Sucks. <laughs> so, a few days later, he was performing at a festival in Hamburg, which was fortunately a shorter set, because it's a festival, mm-hmm. because by the time they were done, David collapsed backstage and was rushed to the hospital. It was discovered that he had acute artery blockage, and he underwent emergency angioplasty
1: surgery, damn, yeah, so did they put like stints in his arteries, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, dude, to get like all that See? shit cleared out, like I know. A h- small handful of people who are, like, the healthiest people on the planet, but then they fucking have heart attacks and have to have stents well, put in their arteries.
0: Some people dismiss this, but I do want to remind everyone about his cocaine years and the massive yeah. amounts of cigarettes and alcohol. Lots
1: of um, cocaine.
0: Mm. However, this would be the last time that he would ever tour.
1: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That early in the 2000s? 2004,
0: yeah. Holy shit.
1: Because this understandably
0: gave him pause. He wanted to stay longer. He still had so much to say and so many loved sense. ones to spend time with.
1: That makes sense. Because there was like a a good chunk of the 2000s where like nobody fucking heard of David Bowie. Honestly. Honestly. So after this, he became like, I don't want to say like a
0: recluse, but he lived in New York City. And people would say, like, oh, how do you, like, not get noticed? And it's, like, at this point in New York City, now you can. You, Oh, yeah. Yeah, because at this point, like, how many fucking celebrities new- live in New York City? All of them. They all live in Midtown. And honestly, Bowie can be discreet enough if he just, like, homeboy would just walk around with, like, a tattered hoodie and, like, some jeans and
1: work boots, and no one would look twice at him. But I think at this point in New York City... Like, people absolutely recognize you, but nobody gives a fuck. It's not that nobody gives a fuck. It's just that everyone is more like, eh, I'm, not, I'm just not going to say anything. But also, if you want to <laughs> have a gigantic fucking estate with tons of land and nobody around you to really give a fuck who you are because they're surrounded by rich people, move to upstate New York. Which is what he does. Exactly. (laughs) So in addition to
0: their New York City home... They also bought a home up in the Catskills so they could relax and be in nature. Oh, fucking shit. You and every other celebrity in New York State. Of this, though, David Bowie says, and I quote, I'm a Capricorn. I was born to be gallivanting on a peak somewhere.
1: Hey! So why are not you gallivanting on a peak
0: somewhere right now, Ashley? Because
1: I haven't bought a peak yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. Although apparently, for what it's worth, Bowie would notice if, like, People were taking pictures, like, paparazzi and shit, and he would always, like, give them a little finger. Yeah. So, like, good for you.
1: But, like, that's why so many celebrities, so many, like, like, established veteran musicians and actors would move upstate because... You could have tons of fucking room. You could Mm -hmm. have a multi-million dollar estate, but you could also go down the street to the stop and shop and nobody's going to give a flying fuck who you are because we are not impressed. (laughs) I don't give a fuck who you are. If you are like standing in my way in the grocery store, I'm going to be like, excuse me, can you fucking move? Can that be our new motto?
0: Upstate New York. We are not impressed.
1: We are not impressed. (laughs) Period. (laughs) Period.
0: Not impressed. So David would continue to act. Notable roles include playing Nikola Tesla in The Prestige. That was a fucking
1: fantastic movie. I fucking
0: love The Prestige.
1: Fucking love
0: it. I don't and know it, if it still holds up, but it was go- so Oh, good. it
1: it holds up. All right. I have it. We can watch and it again. I did not
0: realize that Bowie was Nikola Tesla until the second time I watched it.
1: And his helper was um fucking, what's his face? Gollum. Oh, Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis. Yes. So good, such a good movie. So but good. also Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale, yeah, beautiful. So
0: good. Um, he is very much beloved for his cameo in the show extras, where he led a group of party goers to sing about Ricky Gervais's pug nosed face.
1: <laughs> I never oh, watched. I haven't either. I never I need watched to see extras,
0: this. but like. From everything everyone's told me, and I watched this clip, I'm like, this looks fucking hilarious. And that I need sounds to,
1: absolutely. I he, I need to see David Bowie making fun of Ricky he literally Gervais. like
0: Rick he and Ricky Gervais became good friends, and Ricky's like, can you be on the show? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, can you make up a shitty song about me? And Bowie's at first like, I don't what. And Ricky's like, no. So like just Bowie it. just on the fucking cue, just like sad sad little man on
1: <laughs> the piano it was so good it's so fucking like, good I I kind of have a love hate relationship with Ricky Gervais he doesn't know about it but I do <laughs> Um, <laughs> but like sometimes I love him sometimes I fucking hate him that makes sense that is a love hate relationship it, it, that is I perfectly described a love hate relationship so you there you it. go now you know now I know so
0: there was an occasional Bowie viewing throughout the decade. Appearances with Arcade Fire at Fashion Rocks, the concert. Eh. Yo. Eh. I like Arcade Fire, first of all. Let's start with that. Second of all, there are songs where David Bowie
1: guested, but he's not credited. And I was like, I know he fucking guested on fucking... Um, oh, there's plenty of songs that they've done where David Byrne guested, too, and they don't credit him. I know. Well, they don't want to be get credited, but either way, the point is, and I would be like, I know that's fucking David Bowie. And finally I looked at him like, I knew it! Anyway. (laughs) You read a Brooklyn Vegan article and you're like, I knew it! (laughs) How dare you? I feel attacked. (laughs) But also he did a charity event with Alicia Keys. He's done a few soundtrack
0: songs here and there. But there would definitely be no tours and no albums coming our way for 10 years. Mm -hmm. It got to the point where everyone just assumed he was done and stopped expecting to have Bowie in the mainstream again. So in 2013, when news of a new album was floating around, people were chomping at the
1: bit to see what it was. The same people that were like, oh, all of your recent stuff is shit. No, these were like diehard true David Bowie fans. These were well, true that's believers. That's fine. But like when I fucking hate it when like an artist like David Bowie is like, I'm just going to take like a decade long break. It's yeah. fine. And everyone who fucking splayed him out beforehand or like for the 20 years before that which are just like but when are we going to get new music from you we really want to hear what you're doing now it's like fuck you do you want to hear what he's doing so you can shit on it do you want to like gargle his balls so that you have like an article to shit out and get paid for because that's the only way you're going to get a paycheck from Rolling Stone I don't know but like how about you (laughs) shut the fuck up she's got a point people (laughs)
0: In March 2013, David Bowie released The Next Day. He brought back Tony Visconti to produce. They had managed to patch up their friendship oh, towards the end of the 90s, nice. so they're good now. Everything's good. Yeah. Everyone who was involved in this project, though, was sworn to secrecy. Mm. The Next Day is clearly a reflective album. Songs like Where Are We Now, you know, they harken back to his influential time in Berlin and the star- the stars are out tonight. Give nods to his life as a musician and being followed by fame everywhere you go. Mm. Also, that's a great music video. It's got Bowie and Tilda Swinton. So go watch it.
1: <gasps> I knew I'd get you with that. I She's dead now. I'm dead. I love them. I, I <laughs> ship them so hard. As friends. As everything. Well, I'm on. As
0: gods. All right, gods. I that ship works. them as
1: gods. I'll take it. <laughs>
0: David takes this album to face his reputation. The cover of the album played with the expectations to have come to plague him throughout his career. They took the iconic cover of Heroes, one of his most beloved albums, Mm -hmm. and obscure his face with a white white block and black text for the new album name. It just says a white block over his hero's face says the next day. This was a cheeky way to kind of just be like, hey, guys, stop expecting me to be the old Bowie songs because I'm fucking not.
1: Yeah, I'm, I haven't been Ziggy Stardust in a in very long literal time. literal decades. So. And, it, and it does
0: kind of feel like that's what people are always like. But like, are you going to do another Scary Monsters? And he's like, no. Yeah.
1: No. He's Bugs Bunny knowing you. He
0: really is. And like, what was really annoying when I was reading my, doing my research is like, how many fucking reviews would be like, it's like, it's like he's finally, this is the best album he's had since his Um, scary monsters and super creeps and I'm like you've said that about all of his 90 albums his 90s albums I'm sorry
1: was this Martin Popoff who was saying this
0: I don't think so it was mostly Rolling Stone
1: (laughs) I had to get some kind of dig in Martin Popoff before we just alright you know what Peace out you heard it. it here first people fuck it I'm tired of Martin Popoff. I mean, I don't remember last tired. time we've had
0: to do anything with it, but you know what? You're right.
1: I had to deal with all of his fucking critiques about every Rush album that oh. ever existed. And I'm like, no, no, no. I am not dealing with this. Well, we're popping off, kids. Literally.
0: Literally. He had no intention of touring to support the album. It was going to do what it was going to do. And at this point, he was 100% all in for the passion of creating art and getting out the things that he felt he still needed to say. Like, now no longer was being mainstream, making hits, making money a thing.
1: Yeah, Obviously, uh, he just, doesn't
0: fucking need it.
1: At this point, he can just do whatever the fuck he wants. If it makes money, great. If it doesn't, who cares? Exactly. Bowie's doing what he, he wants is to do. He is at that spot where mm-hmm. it's not about making money, it's about... Being true to his artistic self. Yeah.
0: And I feel like unlike a lot of artists that do that when they get older, he truly was. Yeah. For sure.
1: Oh, Black Star was like the complete embodiment of him just doing whatever the fuck he wanted to do. And in the best way ever. Yeah. Somewhere in mid-2014,
0: David had received the terrible news that he developed liver cancer. He decided to give treatment a go, but kept everything real hush-hush. Only a few people knew of his illness, basically family or anybody that needed to know, Mm -hmm. especially in regards to creating future works. One person was Ivan Van Hove, who directed David's off-Broadway musical, Lazarus. Not sure of how much time he had left, it was important to get this up and running right away. I mean, Bowie always wanted to write a musical, Mm -hmm. as we had learned when he did Diamond Dogs. Mm -hmm. He basically created a sequel to The Man Who Fell to Earth, a play he always Felt a kindredness with.
1: Yeah. That was like the embodiment of himself. Yeah. He really felt a closeness to
0: that character. Yeah. During production, things looked up as he fell into remission at one point. He managed to get that up and running on the 7th of December, 2015. Watching that opening night, David couldn't have been any prouder or happier of everything that had been accomplished at that point. Unfortunately, remission didn't last long. Soon, he was once again exhausted and stuck to a lot of bed rest. Thankfully, he at least completed his final album, Black Star. And along with it, music videos for both the titular track and one for Lazarus. Which are haunting and beautiful. Uh-huh. In the Lazarus video, we see David feature one more persona, Button Eyes. But also, he pays tribute to the thin white duke by wearing the outfit of that black pants and shirt with the white stripes drawn on. hmm The same outfit he wore on the back of Station to Station while while drawing the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. Mm -hmm. Black Star was released on January 6, 2016, Bowie's 69th birthday. I'm not really going to go into it because I did an entire episode on it a long time ago. Yes. Episode 7. Go check it out for more of info on that.
1: Do not look into anything before that. (laughs) Please.
0: Two days later, January 8th, David Bowie passed away in his New York City home surrounded by his loved ones. Mm. the world grieved for his loss from fans to fellow musicians Kind words were shared, artistic tributes created and Bowie nights were held at clubs everywhere containing drunks who shed their tears together
1: including in our local uh, club yeah but um <laughs> yeah me and our our good friend Beth who passed away a couple years ago got. <laughs> way too drunk drunk. (laughs) we got like alcohol poisoning (laughs) and i remember um texting our group text and being like we drank too much alcohol poisoning we can't go so sorry bye (laughs) i remember
0: my friends and i held our own uh david bowie karaoke tribute at the private karaoke bar yep the that like weekend and yeah i definitely got blackout don't remember what happened we sang a lot. I think we cried a little. There was a lot of blackout drunk. There was a lot of blackout drunk that weekend. Yep. Black Star, blackout. Yep. It worked. People were fucking upset. I mean... We were sad, guys. Yo, <laughs> you know We were really sad. It didn't happen as tragically, but this was our John Lennon. Yeah. For sure.
1: It wasn't as abrupt and unexpected right. and tragic. Well, like, it kind it w- of was, it was but it wasn't tragic.
0: a murder, which is fucking disgusting.
1: Which is... um. Jolting, yeah, I guess. Um, David Bowie's was jolting just because, like, we didn't know he had cancer. Yeah, we didn't know he was. You know, <sighs> we didn't know we were
0: just about to lose him. He released this album, and we're like, "Wait, what?" And then yeah. he dies, and you're like, "This is fucking weird."
1: And like, I guess there's another element of we could have expected this if we had known. Yeah, but we didn't, and there's. I'm sure a lot of people felt angry that we that they didn't know that it was gonna happen. But what business is it of ours? It's not our business. Yeah. That is absolutely up to the discretion of the person who's going through it. Yeah. And I respect that. Yeah. I one hundred percent respect am not, that. I'm not mad. Oh no. At in any way that he didn't tell anybody. No. That is absolutely I his
0: business. Super respect him for it, honestly.
1: Yeah. To anybody who keeps that news that something so for like almost two years for almost two years that's impressive it is i'm sorry to keep going back to rush but like nobody knew that neil was Mm -hmm. sick either and he lived with his his cancer diagnosis which was a fucking brain cancer yeah he lived with that for two and a half three and a half years yeah and nobody knew.
0: I mean, we'll go back even farther. Freddie Mercury knew he had AIDS forever, but never let Didn't anybody
1: know. Didn't tell anybody. Because I I understand. I understand you don't want the that. attention that's going to come with a diagnosis like that, that inevitably is going to result in death. Yeah. You don't it- want that. You don't want to have to talk about nope. that. For you don't want your loved ones to have to deal with the pop on that. Yeah, and you that. don't want your bandmates to have to deal with that either. No. I totally understand that, and yeah. I nobody should ever blame him for that. No, not at all. I totally respect it. I think yeah. he was, and I think it
0: was all part of his design anyway. Yeah, and that's good. I'm glad he had control
1: over that. He is an alien. <laughs> he is just going back to his home planet. It's fine. It's fine.
0: In accordance with his will, David was cremated in New Jersey a few days after his death. He wanted no big ceremony, no send-off on his account. His ashes were scattered off the island of Bali, and that was that.
1: It's the only reason to go to New Jersey, honestly.
0: (laughs) His music had (laughs) since skyrocketed in sales. (laughs) Even today, there are still new releases of old material and re-releases of these vast collections for fans to reminisce with. I mean, yeah. I went on the Spotify, and it's like you have to scan through like twenty of these like re-released albums and live shows before oh, you get to his like remasters, yeah. re-releases, oh my deluxe versions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: In 2017, he actually won five Grammys for Black Star. Of course he did. Because of
1: course he did. Because that's what the Grammys do. Yep. Not that it didn't deserve it, but right. that's what the Grammys
0: do. Right. Right. But just recently, Amon has finally spoken out in regards to the loss of her soulmate. Quarantine was unkind to us all, giving all of us too much time and especially Amon with her thoughts. She spent the time realizing how much grief she was still carrying. I mean, fuck, it was only five years ago. Yeah. She spent much of her time in the Catskill home, going through his paintings and his books, taking the time to find solace with the loss. She said she would never marry again. David is not her late husband. He is her husband, and his presence is still felt.
1: That makes me want to cry. Right? Like, the dedication
0: between those two. And it makes you stop and be like, he was still a person. Like, Duncan lost a dad. Lexi lost a dad. Amon lost her soulmate. Like, they lost a person in their life. Right. And that's so tragic. And it's like, as sad as we are, like, I can't even... Begin? No, I can. I can one hundred percent like understand and empathize with them. And Mm. I think for reasons such as that, I'm like, you know, it's tragic we lost him, but like they lost somebody who is a big person in their lives.
1: Oh yeah, I'm like they had a far more personal view of David Bowie than any of us ever did. So. Yeah, that's an even bigger loss for them because they didn't just lose David Bowie. They lost dad. They lost David Jones. Yeah. Um, you know, as beautiful
0: as the send off was by fans and everyone. And I think, you know, of course, it's all in good spirit and all to send positive love and vibes to everyone in the world. Mm-hmm. We can't even begin to touch no. or understand their grief. Fuck no. Absolutely and, and I think that's kind of always like my thing of like, I'll be sad on my own terms in my own way. But like shit. I can't even. My my actual, like, genuine, like, love and thoughts do go to them, because losing someone sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know Fucking what? can tell me about it. Long and short of it.
1: Yeah, losing someone sucks, especially someone who is so close to you. Yeah. Our collective narrative for Bowie is what lives on. An otherworldly being who is
0: magically whisked into existence and brought us amazing tales of spacemen and fascist villains who eventually came to look at his own mortality as time went on. And in the end, he tipped his hat and left the room from whence he came. Mm. But for me, it's kind of fun to peek behind the curtain and see the average guy just wearing jeans and a hoodie, controlling all the images that we see. And when he notices that he's been seen, instead of panicking, he merely just gives you a wink and goes back to work. David Jones was an amazing man who gave the world wonderful art and stories that we continue to share even after he's gone, but I don't want to forget that he was also a human who was very much influenced by his own experiences. There is always going to be an argument as to whether David knew Blackstar was truly his final send-off. Some argue because he was talking about future projects that he didn't know for sure, but it can also be argued he knew exactly what he was doing as Bowie never could leave a theatrical opportunity just sitting on the table. (laughs) As he claims in his final song off Blackstar, I can't give everything away, there will always be mysteries to David's life, and that's done by design. His life and death will always be viewed as a work of art. And that's the story of David Bowie.
1: (laughs) Bow, bow, bow. Bow. Thank you, thank you.
0: Uh, yeah, so thank you everyone for listening to our story on Bowie, our stories in general. I mean, I know we got a couple more things coming out, but...
1: But this is the last, like... Real deep story. Real deep, like, rock candy episode. Yeah. We're going to do a few episodes with, you know, podcast friends, but... And it will be hilarious. That will be fucking fantastic, but, like, this is the last one. Yeah. I mean, I think Bowie is an appropriate person to end he's on. a good send-off he's a good send-off yeah yeah um he's somebody that has been with us literally through our entire lives yeah at least with us definitely yeah and, and uh i don't think we would be the people we are without him oh no like he influenced us from like
0: before we even knew he was influencing yeah, us. yeah
1: and like as we were talking about before like it's not necessarily even his music that influenced me in particular Mm. it was him and labyrinth Mm -hmm. like oh yeah it was the music that he made for labyrinth that really influenced who i am as a person and you know everything that i love and know and believe in now was it all harkens back to that yeah it all harkens back to you know who Who he was as a character in Labyrinth. I think for me, I honestly should probably
0: think Trent Reznor because I always kind of knew like, um, you know, like the really old stuff, like Major Space Oddity, yeah, and like a couple other things. But like, once I saw I'm Afraid of Americans, I was like. Wait, David Bowie,
1: I thought yeah. he was like
0: an oldies dude and it made me look into him more.
1: It made you realize that people who were, you know, popular even before we were born mm-hmm. could still, you know, be with the times. Yeah. And be influential on us as teenagers yep. and who we who we think we are as people who grew up with Nine Inch Nails and industrial music. Like we can still take in uh, influences that were in our parents' times. You know what
0: I mean. But But yeah, David Bowie is iconic. He is eternal and he is forever. And we will always be sharing him with everyone. Who is wonderful and iconic and forever. Who? Us. Oh, shit, because we're irrelevant 50-year-old witches. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you all so much for listening to this, The series, all of our series. Um yeah. Stick around for the next month. We'll have some fun episodes if you just want to hear, like, funny little bullshit.
1: But also, the very last episode after all of our yes. episodes with our friends is going to be just us yep. doing... Uh, Basically, and ask me anything. Yeah, if you have questions for us, send them to us. Please send. You can post them on Instagram or mm-hmm. Facebook. You can send us uh, an email an email at Rock Candy Podcast or contact us at, at rockcandypodcast Rock Um, or you can just send us a DM on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. Um. And Don't bother with Twitter. It. Like I hate Twitter. Twitter. I'm sorry. I hate Twitter. <laughs> Fuck it. We're like never on it. So. Um. Yeah. For questions, comments, whatever. Yeah. We don't have a shit. That sounds great. We already have a few. If even if we don't get a bunch, we'll just fucking bullshit.
0: Yeah. We'll bullshit. It'll be fun. I mean, you know,
1: treat it how you want, kids. And also, we'll probably cry a lot because this is sad. <laughs> I know, this is weird. Like, I, it's weird and it's sad. And um, there's a lot. I'm... There's a lot of emotions coming out here, kids. All right. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll in talk about lessons, it. So. Yeah.
0: Um. And yeah. So hit us up, please. Also, you know what? Spotify does ratings now, so if you can just like scoot over to Spotify and give us a little five-star bloop,
1: we'd really appreciate that. Yeah. So Even if you're listening to this well after we're done. Just do it.
0: Just rate us. You know what? I would fucking laugh my butt off if we're done like in three years. This becomes one of the most popular music history podcasts. Wouldn't it be fucking hilarious? And then they make you have to come back and be like, we're getting the band back together. Guys, (laughs) getting the band back
1: together. All right.
0: But yeah. All right. So tune on in next week because we will have some
1: we'll have, oh next week next actually, week is gonna be our best technically of. end of the year episode which we push back because we ended up doing three-parters yep. for the last two episodes we thought were gonna be two-parters we're but aren't we fucking idiots and we're like nah we're gonna do three-parters <laughs> It'll be fine. This will be fine. so our best of 2021 is actually going to come out the first week of 2022 yes which is still appropriate it is so So
0: come on in for that. That'll be fun. And then you can af- hear about our favorite songs, albums, concerts, and beers. Yeah. And ciders. Because and ciders. Because that's what Ashley used to drink. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh yeah,
0: so alright. So we'll see you next week. And until then, party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. And party on you care the kids out there. With gasoline. <laughs>